On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Zach Wasserman. He is the CTO at Fleet. We're going to be learning about some of the features and functionalities of what the Fleet product does. It's in-device management. We're going to be talking about a couple of different components of it, whether it's the telemetry piece or the MDM piece. And they open source the product. And, and we're really excited to talk about why and some of the benefits. Um, I've had a couple of people on talk about that. And the more I learn about it, the more I'm fascinated. And Zach's going to dive into that uh, for us as well. Thanks for being on the show, Zach. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Amir. Awesome. So obviously the CTO, so I'm pretty sure everyone uh, has a good sense that you've got a lot to do uh, on that plate. But but the you know, fleet itself, obviously I give just a high level, uh, a couple of bullets of what you guys would do. It'd be great for the audience before we set the context. Yeah, for sure. So as you said, Fleet is an open source device management platform. We're, we're originally built on top of OS Query, which is an open source agent project of the Linux Foundation, something that I personally have worked on for a long time, going back to 2014 at Facebook. And we use OS Query and other tools that we've developed to enable a handful of really important device management use cases. Uh, one being MDM, so the mobile device management, actual active management of the devices. As of today, particularly Mac workstations, very soon Windows, and soon after that, mobile devices and Linux as well will be coming. And then the other big use case that we take on, and these are actually combined together into the single platform, is pulling telemetry from the devices. So not only managing what can be configured through the MDM protocols, but also observing everything that's happening on the devices, which ends up being really relevant for both security and IT teams to do detections on uh, intrusion attempts to determine when uh, hardware needs to be retired or when it's being used inefficiently to implement device trust in beyond corp style architectures. So there's a number of different use cases that kind of get integrated into this one platform. Awesome. I appreciate that. That's a, that's a great background. We're going to start uh, peeling it all back. And I guess before we start, you mentioned MDM telemetry, just to make sure everyone who's listening, we're on the same you know uh, level playing field in case you haven't heard these terms. Can you maybe just define what each of those are? Yeah, so MDM is a concept that was introduced by Apple about 10 years ago when businesses wanted to start using iOS and macOS in their enterprise IT organizations. And MDM is essentially a protocol and implementation on macOS and a related, somewhat similar protocol and implementation on Windows that allow devices to be remotely essentially initialized uh, that first bootstrapping to be managed through, through their life cycle, talking about things like installing applications, installing certificates, configurations for connecting to networks, to VPNs, that kind of stuff, creating users, many of those kind of operations. And then sort of the end of, of life device cycle, which would be the remote lock or remote wipe when you're maybe when someone loses a laptop or when it's just time to have it shipped back in because it's being replaced by a new one. And it's becoming really more and more relevant with the new hybrid and remote workforces as the older kind of systems of 
getting your devices in, having an IT person sit there and kind of flash the right configuration onto it. Like, no, that's all out the window. Now those these devices, they open up the lid for the first time, the end user does that, and the device checks into the MDM server, and you're basically off to the races, and your IT department never has to give a touch to it. So that's MDM. Awesome. Uh, and I guess, Eric, before, before we leave telemetry behind. Yeah, and then telemetry is really about getting full visibility into what's happening on the devices that you manage. So while MDM gives you the the ability to enforce some configurations and do essentially write actions, MDM typically has a pretty limited functionality around read actions, if you will. And so telemetry is about figuring out everything that's going on on the device. So what processes are running and what kind of network connections are they making? what users exist on the device and any sort of configuration that's in there. And all the way down to stuff, you know, we, we see people looking at things like the battery health of their devices. They know like who they're going to have to uh, pull in their laptop to do a repair, to do a replacement because it's hitting at the max cycle count. You know, so there's a, there's a wide range of uses for telemetry, which go from the, you know, the very, IT help desk kind of stuff. Like, what? when was the last time this laptop was restarted? Like, oh, it was six weeks ago? Maybe we should just try a restart first. To, uh, you know, hardcore detection engineering on the, on the security side where people are pulling down audit trails of every file modification and every process execution and network connection and then using that to do like pretty sophisticated detections and forensics kind of work. So there's kind of a big range, but we find across IT and security, there's a lot of use for this telemetry data. Interesting. Yeah, thanks for thanks for covering both those. You mentioned, you know, obviously remote, hybrid, I mean, heck, in offices, that now we have multiple types of, you know, work environments before it was strictly office for most people i i guess as you've been kind of looking at the last couple of years you know a product like fleet it sounds like it's built so that whether you are on site you're remote whether you're you're hybrid whatever that is you can actually have these the solution take care of all three of those aspects because i could imagine you have potentially you know companies that have legacy infrastructure legacy components that are doing it one way for one uh you know type of worker or maybe a different way for a different worker i mean obviously all this has been new the last couple of years yeah and and the common baseline that i think organizations used to have when almost everything was on site was you had a network where you probably had a hard outer perimeter, and then you could probably remotely access through SSH or, or other technologies, most of the machines within that network. And so I think that a lot of security practices came to evolve around reaching out from some central security program out to the machines and collecting the data. That really stops working as you have people taking their computers to coffee shops they're not on the vpn to their to their home all these different places and what we've found works a lot better is also not a new concept but it's to run an agent on the machines and so if we have a way to install agents which often the mdm 
is a way to do that on workstations. And often folks are using things like Chef, for example, on production infrastructure. They can even push out container images with agents installed in their production infrastructure. If you can get the agent out there, you can start to unify these data collection and device management challenges without having to have the kind of remote access that you used to need. And so then we can do things, uh, again, like what we've already described, but we can also do things like vulnerability management across devices that aren't on the network because we've got agents there collecting the programs that are running. And then in the fleet server, we're doing correlation to the known vulnerabilities. So I think it does enable organizations to get in one in one environment, which is fleet, they can get more of their different types of assets. And that I think ends up being a big win as folks try to consolidate their devices into smaller number of platforms and smaller number of tools. And then eventually like the really big win that I'm looking towards kind of more out in the future is consolidating IT and security more. I was actually going to ask you about that because I'm, you know, as as we're talking about this, we're obviously there's a component of device management that seems really obvious to me, right? Like you're going to ship me a MacBook. It would be great when it opens up, it knows what to do because it may never even touch somebody's hands before it gets to me. Uh, and, and I'm old enough to know that that was a pain, uh, even when you had somebody, you'd go get your laptop from, you know, in person. But as you're kind of talking about vulnerability management and you're talking about you know some of this telemetry data it starts feeling like there's a lot of security maybe more security than i had even thought about when we spoke earlier that that, that the product itself is pseudo helping out on the security side and I, I guess maybe you could help us understand how far it goes before a, maybe a security product kicks in or kind of where that line blurs between you know the fleet platform and, and security products yeah, totally. And I think the place where where Fleet is really a true substitute for security products today is as a vulnerability management platform. So like I was talking about, you know, we pull down the inventory of software that's installed on a device and then we provide information about what CVEs, what known vulnerabilities are on those devices based on the software that we saw installed on those devices. So that's where Fleet is is kind of a substitute. Then I, I think something that a term that may be familiar to folks, EDR, endpoint detection response, so something like CrowdStrike or Sentinel One, is a place where you know Fleet is not an EDR per se. Fleet can provide a lot of useful data about endpoints, the E, um, and detections can be built with the data that comes from Fleet and and ultimately from OS Query, the agent that we use. But we're not an EDR. And what we see more typically on the security side is that folks are deploying Fleet alongside their EDR. So the EDR becomes a little bit more of like a black box security tool. It's like claims to be detecting threats on the devices and, and mitigating them. We make no claims that we're that we're mitigating those threats, but what we do allow is those teams who want to do their own detection engineering because they understand more uniquely the risks of their organization and because they have good perhaps threat intelligence teams out there that that give them things to look for. They want to do threat hunting within their organization. All of these kind of use cases get enabled because Fleet is really open about the data. It's all about getting you that data that you're interested in and enabling you then as a security team or 
or as an IT team or whichever part of the organization you're in to kind of build those integrations and build those use cases that you wouldn't be able to get through the black box products. And that's actually, you know, I think it's interesting because um, I'm, I'm thinking if it was on my laptop and, you know, where that would kick in and where uh, another product, you know, you know CrowdStrike similar would kick in. That's actually interesting because the lines seemingly, as you were talking, I'm like, they're fine lines. Uh, not to say where you guys are going to take the product one day or where, what the you know, future of the downline, but I was like, that's pretty cool because it's already the brain of getting my device to me. And then it's also doing some vulnerability management. I, you mentioned something that was interesting, um, you know, when we had spoken earlier about, you know, obviously the MDM side and more of a DevOps approach. And I thought that was interesting because I, you know, obviously everyone's trying to automate everything and make sure, you know, things are deployed hands off and, you know, becoming a lot more you know, automatic. How does that factor into the product and and what that actually means? Yes, and we love that. And it's not just on the MDM side, but let's let's talk about the MDM side first. So, I mean, the idea is that we've seen this revolution kind of in uh, in operations, you know, partic- particularly production infrastructure. We've we've gone to DevOps, and we've seen the fruits of that DevOps revolution pay off, and that we can manage things more at scale with fewer people better reliability, better auditability about what's changed and why. And I think that most people are pretty sold on on the principles of DevOps in that realm. And so we're excited about bringing the similar kind of principles into IT and into security. And so practically what that looks like for MDM is instead of making the main interface of working with your MDM be, you know, click around, hit some buttons, and then the MDM deploys a configuration. But there's not a great amount of control or auditability or ability to review what kind of changes happen. Instead, let's take these great ideas like configuration as code from DevOps. So things like Terraform, where, um, where we saw we could define how we want resources configured, and then we can have the systems apply those. So Fleet allows the MDM management to happen through essentially YAML files. So people write plain text files. They would pull request them in their source control system. Then they have an opportunity to have review by other members of the team. This also creates, of course, then an audit trail for you know why were things changed. Because I think that for many of us in IT, security, and engineering, like the there's a perennial question of like, why did we do that? How did things end up in this state? Um, so we get that again, sort of centralized into our systems the way that it that, that it worked for DevOps, and then our CI processes will push out the actual necessary changes. And Fleet does still have a UI. You can click around to do these kind of things. And you can click around, particularly, I think the best is to be able to see what kind of states things are in. That's a great way to click around, to to use click ops, if you will. I think, though, moving to Git ops with the configuration as code is a powerful new thing that folks are are moving towards. And it's something that that, you know, provides, I think, as well, for the potential for security wins that are really big. Because we've, for example, spoken to uh, you know, a large crypto company who said, 
you know, we're going to have a lot of trouble sticking with our current MDM provider because there's no way for us to get approvals into actions that our administrators take on our devices. And that could lead to, uh, you know, with the sensitivity of the data that we work with, that could lead to major theft and it's risk that we cannot continue to take on. So I think it's exciting to see how some business requirements are pushing towards this. And then we'll also just see the, the kind of efficiency gains similar as to, to what we saw with the DevOps revolution. Hmm. I, you, you mentioned obviously the example of the crypto uh, company and, and my mind started thinking about, especially in, in fintech, um, in crypto, in, in, in kind of highly sensitive data fields of, of compliance, because obviously you guys are getting unique data points, um, you know, from that you know security component, from the device management component, those vulnerability uh, pieces of data. How, how does how does I guess compliance factor into the product? Totally. So the what we have in Fleet is a concept that we call policies. Which, are, which essentially lets you define a query that returns a yes or no answer. Is this device in or out of compliance with this policy? And those policies don't have to be you know, policies that are coming from compliance frameworks, for example. Uh, but they often are. And there's a lot of stuff that folks need to know about their endpoints and need to collect about their endpoints in order to satisfy their auditors and to satisfy the compliance frameworks that they're going for. So that is really commonly used for that. Fleet, for example, as part of our, our premium version, publishes predefined policies covering all of uh, macOS and Windows CIS. So that might be a, that might be a compliance requirement to uh, you know, use the CIS controls on your endpoints. Uh, but any compliance requirement that you have uh, on an endpoint essentially can be defined within Fleet. And again, defined within this DevOps kind of workflow. So then you can also say, over time, were we actually tracking this compliance? Who made the change? You know, when was, it, when was our query modified? You know, it, and how does that affect the integrity of our data? Like all of that, again, can go through the GitOps workflow and allow, I, I think, you know, just a better audit record that leads to easier interactions with auditors and and um, easier getting through compliance frameworks. I, I, and again, if this uh, maybe I'm off, but you know, obviously, I, I, I do have a lot of cybersecurity people on the podcast, and and always the discussion of shifting left, what whatever that is, whether it's privacy shifting left, compliance, you know, core pieces of cybersecurity. Everyone is trying to shift some component of of that process further left. It is is kind of the, what you're describing a slight reflection on some of these attributes. I mean, you mentioned GitOps. Obviously, we know, you know DevOps, but are we seeing a slight shift left with some of these features and functionalities that previously weren't? Yeah, I mean, I would almost interpret this a slightly different way with the approach that we take. In that, part of the shift is also more engaging the end user. So rather than having to have kind of a bigger round trip between the security practitioner and the end user or the team that deploys those devices, something that we've really focused on is enabling the the admins, the IT admins or the security uh, admins to communicate better with their users through things like 
providing roles that you can use in the application to give people read-only access to perhaps their clusters if they're a production team. So they can then see which of the machines in their clusters are complying with the policies that have been defined by the compliance frameworks or by the security team themselves. And so that's, I think, a way that we that we see shortening the feedback loop. And then on the individual end users' computers, we also have a, a little system tray icons like in the menu bar at the top on Mac OS to so the menu bar at the bottom on Windows that allows them to click open and see how are they doing with those policies and also just learn more about what the organization is doing with with the tools on their device. And so I really think that kind of getting the getting the end users in and reducing the round trips between the security teams and the end users is is a, a part of the equivalent of shifting left when it comes to this endpoint kind of uh, management. Yeah, I mean, actually, your explanation makes makes a lot of sense. I think I'm, I'm translating that in my head, and I'm like, okay, I can see, I can actually see the lightning of of that effort. Um, and I was actually, you know, kind of thinking about the product, and and you had mentioned, you know, when we first spoke, um, obviously. It's a piece of the the, the business is open source piece, you know, part of the kind of company. And I'll let you kind of describe how what's open source, what's not open source to kind of make sure everyone um, is aware of that. But maybe before we dive into that open source note, because I wanted to make sure I touched on that before we wrapped up. Um, how what is the relationship between Fleet and what's open source? For sure. So Fleet is the, at the core of Fleet. At the core of our agent is. OS Query, which, as I said, OS Query is an open source project of the Linux Foundation. It's offered alternately under an MIT or a GPL2 license, but I think almost anyone would take an MIT license because that's that's generally complete freedom. Um, so that's the that's the core of the agent. And then we at Fleet have added a bunch of additional code around that, which is also open source under an MIT license. Almost everything that we're doing on the agent side is completely, you know, open source uh, down to, you know, OSS initiative approved licenses. Um, the entirety of fleet source code is source available. Um, this is kind of where we get to the open core thing. And so if folks are familiar with GitLab, it's very much a model adopted from GitLab. So most of the features that we build go into the truly open source, open core, and that stuff is, again, MIT licensed. So most of the fleet server is also just true uh, open source MIT license. And then there's just some subset of functionality, essentially, that is behind the premium license. And it's still there in the repo, but you just navigate into that subdirectory and you see like this is covered by the EE license. In order to use this in production, you need to buy a license from Fleet, essentially. And I think, you know, what we think is really cool about this is one, it just enables people to go and deploy this tool and get value without having to pull out a credit card, without having to go through budget approvals. And there have been so many organizations that have deployed fleet free and gotten a lot of value out of it. And we believe that a lot of them will convince in the future that they'll get even more value by paying us and, and you know, it'll be a win-win all around. Um, so I, I, we, we love that. And then the other thing that I think is, is really so cool is like, you know, we're working with security engineers and client platform engineers and sometimes software engineers on the other side 
uh, at our customers and they occasionally go, you know, this thing wasn't working quite like how I expected, but here's how I fixed the code to make it work. And it's like, oh, wow, how much better a feedback loop is that than like endless round trips with a vendor? And, you know, so to me, it's just, it's just this kind of joyful building of, of community around what we're able to do. Yeah, I, I, I actually, um, I think this is the second episode I'm recording uh, with somebody that has a similar uh, product, similar viewpoint on uh, open source. Um, and obviously a Facebook you know, co-creator of OS Query. So you've had a longstanding relationship with with that. Is that at all changed how you kind of viewed the business model? Like, obviously you were Facebook, you, 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 you were part of OS Query early on. Does that does that change how you view it, or or potentially how you view this relationship with keeping open source? Because it sounds like there's a lot of benefits to to keeping open source. Not everyone does, but just kind of curious. Yeah, I mean, I think that I certainly personally have realized a lot of the benefits of keeping software open source by being able to build a career. You know, now almost ten years working on OS Query and related projects across. You know about five different companies, and so you know for me, there's definitely a personal connection to that, and connection to having uh, as well people in that community, in that OS Creek community, who I've worked with for getting close to ten years, and we've uh, you know some of us who've never even worked at the same employers, uh, and I just love all the community aspects of that. So I think that there, you know, there's both that kind of sentimental portion. But then there's also just the fact that like this this business model and in particular what what we try to do is the buyer-based open core business model, which is something that uh, was was pioneered by Sid C. Brandy at GitLab. There's a great talk out there where, where he talks about you know what exactly that means. And Sid is our angel investor for this company. So he came to us and said, you know, let's try this business model on what you're already doing with the with the open source version of Fleet that I was kind of the sole maintainer of at that time. And we have through that business model, you know, now built up to an organization where we're, you know, we're serving customers with with hundreds of thousands, probably over a million endpoints that they're managing with our software. And we have a team that's, you know, about 50 people. And so I think that, that, you know, GitLab in particular is a testament to the ability for this kind of model to work up to a really large scale, but we're already seeing the the fruits of it paying off in our, in our organization after, you know, we're at about three years since founding. Yes, actually, uh, well, you, you kind of, I was going to ask you a follow-up about you know, on the VC side, you know, and maybe you had these conversations before, but I was curious when you, you know, you you approach VCs or they approach you, however way it might work, you know, what the thought is around the open source business model that you've been talking about, you know, if it requires more effort or or what it might require to kind of help them understand, you know, the value or, or whatnot. Yeah, that's a great question, and I and I wonder if if things are are shifting a little bit here with some of the challenges that we've seen with organizations like Elastic and and HashiCorp recently. But in my experience, VCs saw open source as like cool and a good marketing tool, and what they really cared about was 
you know, what's the what's the total market size and like what's your ARR, your your annual revenue, and how much is that growing? And didn't I I think the VCs did not have a particular uh, I think concern or care about how the the business model is working if the numbers are going in the right direction. And I think that there is uh, sub- sufficient evidence of open source companies working at this point that um, there's not a level of skepticism that there may have been, say, 10 years ago. It's interesting because I think I've had a couple, actually, I, I think it's you know, the third guest in the last month and a half I've had that you know has this background. Um, and all three, including yourself, it sounds like the community behind the product and the value you get transcends the thought of everything being proprietary versus a lot of times you hear about everyone trying to keep it proprietary because that's the IP they're protecting. You actually recognize, I guess, the IP that's being contributed is actually a, a bigger value to the company. Do you think that changes? Do you think at some point, you know, if the product does grow past a certain size, does that ever change or, or you're happy to keep it open source just because you feel that's that's how the, the product gets its value and derives its IP? Yeah, I mean, I think that we have no expectation of changing that model for ourselves. Um, we're just, you know, myself and my co-founder, Mike McNeil, are both so deeply ingrained in open source. And again, our roots with uh, our roots with Sid, Sid, and GitLab, and all of that. Like we're we're firm believers that there's this kind of hybrid path with the open core business model that will allow us to get uh, to get where we want. I like it. Before before I let you go, um, j- just for everyone that's listening, because um, I didn't we did, I didn't ask you earlier, and I wanted to, I had it in my notes. I want to make sure we we call this out. The product itself obviously touches on a couple different. Features. Who are the nearest competitors? If if I was in the market, uh, and maybe I don't know a fleet, maybe I do. If I'm looking at competitors to kind of you know make sure that I'm including fleet, who who would I also look at to to kind of make sure you guys are included? Yeah, for sure. On the MDM side, it's you know Jamf is the big one and the Mac OS world, although they're not cross platform at all, and. you know, we're endeavoring to be kind of as good as Jamf and as Mac focused as Jamf, but also cross-platform. So then you've got other ones like uh, Microsoft Intune, and which is cross-platform, actually. Uh, you might be surprised to learn. Um, and VMware Workspace ONE. Those are kind of the big competitors on the MDM side. Then on the more telemetry-focused and, and, um, and security-focused side, the big competitors would be Tanium. You can think of Fleet as kind of a much more modern Tanium in the way that the, the querying models work and also much better support across Mac and Linux as, as well. And then uh, like a, a Rapid7 or Qualys vulnerability management solution, Fleet kind of just builds that in as part of the rest of what we're doing. And so it, it does become an opportunity to kind of consolidate uh, into a fewer uh, number of products. Awesome, man. Um, if somebody wants to reach out um, to talk about fleet, maybe open source business models, um, what, what's a good way of uh, getting in touch with you? Yeah, I mean, the best way to get in touch with me personally is probably LinkedIn, and, and we'll link that in the show notes. 
but if you have questions about Fleet itself, the best thing to do is join the OS Query Slack and you can go to fleetdm.com and find the links to join the OS Query Slack and, and get into the Fleet channel there as well. Okay, awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll include uh, some of those uh, links. Make sure everyone can find them. Zach, thank you for your time. Thank you for coming on and I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Amir. Absolutely. That's it for the episode. Uh, back again, different guests, different topic. Until then, two things. One, share the episode with somebody else that uh, you know would find the episode useful. That's how the podcast grows. So I appreciate everyone that's uh, sharing uh, the episodes out there. Also, leave a uh, like, uh, give me some feedback, leave a review wherever you're listening to this episode. If there's a topic you'd like me to cover, let me know. I'll do my best to find a guest to address it. Until next time, thank you and goodbye.